Welcome to The Razor's Edge. I'm Daniel Schwarzman, joined by Seeking Alpha author Akram's Razor. The Razor's Edge features ideas that Akram has been studying or investing in personally and as part of his Seeking Alpha Marketplace service, which is also called The Razor's Edge. I ask questions, I bring my generalist viewpoint. We're looking at specific ideas, discussing how they might play out, what research goes into it. If you're interested in those ideas themselves, as well as up-to-date developments, chat room, and other features, check out The Razor's Edge on Seeking Alpha's Marketplace. Type in Akram's Razor, A-K-R-A-M, S, or The Razor's Edge, anywhere on Seeking Alpha's search bar, and you should be able to find it. This week, we're talking SaaS earnings. The first recession for the full software-as-a-service age was meant to be a gut check for the model. See how sticky it really was. So far, looks like the companies are passing with flying colors. Just a few names that have reported recently include Datadog, Fastly, and Twilio, all of which use the word accelerate multiple times in their transcript. Each of those three names jumped 30 to 40% or more after earnings. We already know about Zoom. Slack's also omnipresent. Akram just wrote about both of those stocks last week on the website. And in a climate where the Fed is happy to provide whatever it takes to keep the economy afloat, we're recording this on Monday, May 18th, right after Jerome Powell spoke on 60 Minutes, multiples have soared. So the question here is, is there a ceiling? What's going on? What? Where is this sudden burst? Because these were not exactly cheap stocks beforehand. And at what point, it goes back to the article last summer, at what point does, do these companies crowd each other out? Before we begin, a quick disclaimer and disclosure. Razor's Edge is a podcast on Seeking Alpha's The Investing Edge channel. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, and nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. We'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast. I don't think I'm long any SaaS names, and Akram is long PagerDuty, Twilio, Slack, and Facebook, which relevant for Twilio's business especially, and some of these other names. So Akram, good morning. How's it going? Good morning. Good, good. How are you doing, Daniel? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Would be doing a lot better if I owned some of these names, I think. I mean, just reviewing this, the moves that they've been having after... So to set you up, we know that digital transformation is happening. We know that people are working from home. Whatever on the verge of reopening, it'll. we'll see what where the economy, where the culture goes from here. But you knew that these companies would be doing well, but what explains this sort of 30, 40 bigger moves from Toyo's case? It's a $26 billion company, so it's not an upstart. What do you think is going on? I mean, Toyo, I think, is a little bit on, on the unique side in terms of how quickly and how much it just moved as far as... Uh, the earnings reaction, because, you know, I mean, sometimes earnings are just a catalyst for something. And in, in Tulio's case, Tulio had been, let's call them part of the the fab club in, in SaaS, which is before this coronavirus, ServiceNow, Atlassian, Okta, Twilio, let's say Coupa, and then like, you know, a little bit like right below it, like, you know, things like Alteryx and Smartsheet. And then Twilio kind of fell out of that club last summer. Uh, end of last summer. And it's been, let's call it six months of issues. They had some billing issues. They weren't beating by much. They'd done an acquisition. I think some people were like a little confused as to exactly 
what the growth rate's going to look like and how much because they've been putting up these big prints. And I mean, there's a lot of things to buy in the sector, a lot of names, 60 plus names or so. So it was a bit, it was a bit in the doghouse. I went long it when it reported last quarter after hours it had dropped. It had dropped also at the same time on the, on the previous earnings. And it kind of had this muted re- reaction because the guidance was like essentially just in line with consensus. With these SASs, when they've gone through, particularly the ones you like that have been well run, when they go through like a period where they've had some noisy conference calls, two conference calls ago from Twilio was really sloppy. Last one was even mixed. Both of these last two calls, they talk nothing about flex. And if you're an investor in Twilio, you want evidence of momentum for their programmable contact center. That's kind of the story he's pushed. We're going to be more of a services company versus the lower gross margin communication platform as a service that has been the core business. So subscription model per seat pricing versus metered usage, let's say. It was set up in that fashion coming into this quarter where you're like, you know what? They had two sloppy quarters. They're going to lowball the annual guide to just give themselves a little bit more flexibility this year. I had just put like on a, a check mark on, around that name where like you, you want to be along this into the next quarter. That's kind of your setup as far as from a speculative perspective. And then, you know, coronavirus happened and all this chaos and you get caught up in everything else. And they came out with a print that kind of showed that metered usage uh, has worked out well for them in this environment because of everyone going online. And I think one perfect example for them was WhatsApp. Talk about Facebook. WhatsApp as a piece of their pie had been shrinking and it expanded in this this most recent quarter. So there is some stuff in there where you got to be like, you know what? There's some transitory elements that may not stay the way they are. There's a little feast and, and famine that could happen if you go from complete shutdown to back to opened up completely or even in between. But what was interesting on their call was, I mean, they talked about stuff, Comcast doing virtual tech missions for your cable with programmable video API. They talked about Epic using programmable video. They talked about AB InBev adopting Flex. They spent a lot of time on Flex. So like you got decent upside and you got talking about your, your growth product, a customer wins, use case expansion, your holy grail of, of stuff for a growth stock. And what did the market do? It, 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 welcomes, it welcomed Twilio back to the club the next day. It's not like there's some shocker in these business models. I mean, we've seen crazy moves, obviously, in the market over the last three months because of the volatility. But I look at Twilio and be like, okay, it had been so underperforming beforehand as in the peer group. And it just gave you a like, I'm a back in the club, if not better, coronavirus gave me a bit of a tailwind at the same time quarter in a tape where the whole sector has expanded multiple wise. You remember when we were going to the Zoom Slack piece I wrote, I, I, I kind of walked through it. I, I got really burned long Zoom calls in December last year. Market had started rallying, a turn had, had happened. And I, I, I told the story. If you told someone you lost a lot of money on Zoom, in the last six months, they'd be like, is that bullshit? Were you shorting? And like, no, no, I was long. Your explanation is, well, I was long into earnings and call options being aggressive last December. There's a reason I was long there because particularly for someone shorting SaaS is that you were comfortable about their position competitively. You took a view, okay, if the sector is going to recover and we're going to see a risk on in the sector, Zoom 
is going to see multiple expansion again because it's it hasn't been being picked on. Like I laid out the thesis on PagerDuty, for example, or on Slack or, or names like that. So when we were dealing with that last November, and I think I was like $68, $67, it was the only stock trading at an EV to sales multiple over 20. We had we'd gotten up to, I think, nine in the summer and we were down to one. It was just Zoom. And on a forward basis, it was down to like, 16 or so based on consensus, I think, maybe 18 and like 16 on, on my estimated 2020, fiscal 2021, calendar 2020. If you look at it now, I've got the list up. I'm going to count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven are over 30 EV to sales. And then eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 more. So we have 25 stocks at over 25 times sale, over, over 20 times sales. Seven over 30. We've got three over 40. We got one over 50. And we got the big boy Zoom at almost 80. So, I mean, what, what is there to say? That's something that right now, I think when we go back to what's happened in the broader market, I'm like, let's, I don't think we need, want to get into the macro too much. But if you kept the airlines and the cruise lines and the banks, well, not necessarily the banks, but restaurant chains, physical, certain things, the mall retailers, if you kept them from going bankrupt. And when we say bankrupt, people always like, when you have these conversations in finance, people are like, oh, oh bankrupt. We're not saying liquidation. We're saying restructuring. And these things happen at times when you know liquidity becomes a problem. When you think of things in that way and you say, well, you stopped all that from happening to businesses that that 100% was going to happen to. No ifs, ands, or buts. If you did that by, by pumping in, I don't know, where are we at now? $4 trillion in liquidity in, in, in two months by the Fed? Right. I heard, heard $7 trillion as the balance sheet number. Yeah. So when you consider the balance sheet spent eight years going from essentially nothing where it's been for 40 years in 2007 to about 4 trillion and then like back down to like let's call it 3.56 and it's just you know like since they started in in September with the uh, repo activity which was supposed to be temporary and it got it up like over 4 again by early January we've kicked up since then to like 7 so it's like essentially a 75% increase in the balance sheet but but 100% in 6 months that's unprecedented so it's like I just took like, you know, I opened the faucet outside and I'm pumping water in. I'm just elevating everything that's inside that pond. Whatever they were at beforehand, I am also changing the relative mix. So when I, when I pump in a ton of money and I give it to you and I say, go invest, I'm not going to be like, I'm going to go buy some airlines. I'm going to buy more Amazon, Slack, et cetera. And th- that's essentially what's happened. You, you, you changed the relative mix in the pond that is the market when it was already naturally changing. Hence that word that I think Professor Galloway is probably the one who's re- who really championed it the most to get it going in the, about a month and a half ago with, with his talk about education. But that word accelerated, that is the buzzword of like the last two months. Who isn't using it? Ah, said, the virus didn't change the world. It accelerated it. And that's, again, you can just control F on the transcripts and you just see how much one, I think Datadog was the one who said accelerate and amplify as well, which is a good alliteration. Exactly. Yeah. And I I think Twilio is a perfect example of that. Twilio moving that much in a day to anyone looks significant, but it's like relatively, it was in the doghouse. I just re-rated the whole sector up 
and Twilio is closing that gap instantaneously, right? It's got to close the relative gap and the absolute. And that's what it got on that day. You want it to be in a stock like that, obviously, because I mean, when, I, when you look at those names, by the way, they all have something in common, which is there's a metered model here. When we go back to where the Zoom debate, and we'll, we can get into that, and I'm curious as to your thoughts, Zoom isn't making money off the meter. And for all intents and purposes, Zoom's got a ton of customers who their usage was like 1% of what it was before, and it's gone up, I don't know, 20, 30, 50 times. And they're not charging them more money. It's just like I, I bought licenses for my, all my employees. If you go back and read their S1 when they're celebrating, VMware has 20,000 employees. And in January, they used Zoom this many times and it generated this many minutes. Okay, you got a flat fee with those guys. Now what happens? I mean, there is some stuff that's metered in terms of storage and if you want to record video calls, but the business model in of itself is not along those lines. Now, Datadog, New Relic, Twilio, these are models that are along those lines. These are companies who, whether it's a Netflix or people going online or, or having to like, what? think of it as an example. You know, uh, I, my sister-in-law works at a big online social player and they were complete culture of, you know, staying in the office and living the office life. And it's a very successful blowing up type startup. And they gave them a stipend immediately to build a home office. Think about like that, that knee-jerk pivot in a lot of stuff where everyone had to go completely digital immediately for a temporary standpoint. There's that transitory swing, which we were, you were saying when you started, like what's a pull forward here? What's been accelerated? And then like when you come out of this, is there become like a headwind drag because you got so much of a pull forward? The names that have reported most recently, they're immediate beneficiaries of that, whether it's edge content delivery in the cloud, whether it's chat, video. SMS, contact center, so on and so forth. You just had to up usage their monitoring of, of your digital infrastructure, application performance monitoring, observability, these types of things that the, the monitoring gang all are a part of. That dial got turned to the right. I mean, there's, there's no better way to describe it. It got turned like all the way up to the right. And then you just, it's like, how much does it swing back to the left? I think is, is part of the struggle. But part of the struggle is also, and we're seeing that today, ironically, and you know, I'm long all these names, the S&P 500 is up 3% and I think all my stocks are down because what's everyone buying today? The cure. The cure trade is on today. Work from home, accelerate digital transformation. That's been the secular theme today. We're in, we're in the rotation. Get into Boeing, get into Expedia, get into Carnival. A lot of bears get really irritated. When you've done so much bearishness and shorting all the way pre, like back to 2000, but definitely for my end financial crisis, you get this gloom doom edge. You, you have that element once people, once things are going wrong, there's been like, oh, how's the market go up? And the market's making you highs. And I'm looking at my Twitter feed. And I'm seeing all these people who have been critical of certain things, but like their portfolio is structured short or bearish because they're rational human beings to a certain degree, right? I'm like, all right, guys, but the market is doing what it's doing. But is JP Morgan making a new high? Is ExxonMobil making a new high? No, they're not. Why is that? Because where has the money gone? And it went into businesses that just kept right over this and have done better. And you've seen what a lot of them are doing. When I listen to these tech calls, and I've listened to almost all of them now because it's been, it's almost, what's the word, candy in these days because you can't get enough of it because you get on the call and it's just like, 
they're planning ahead completely for a work from home environment, right? Slack's like, we're not opening the office till at least October. Facebook, you can work from home. Twitter, work from home for forever. <laughs> Who more than Twitter is enjoying this? When I saw that come out, Twitter says work from home forever. I was like, Twitter is now self-aware. I mean, there's not much else to say. <laughs> it's, Jack Dorsey's not making the call. Twitter is telling him what to do. The, so I think there are a few strands to go here to try to understand this, which is, I think there's competition. I think there's how permanent or impermanent. And I think there's valuation. Start with competition for a second, because we have, I'll use Zoom quickly, because I think Zoom's actually a pretty obvious example of headwinds here, even though they have the highest valuation, as you said. But Zoom, and you mentioned a lot of these, Facebook, Google, Verizon bought blue jeans, all these different video conferencing apps. And you've made a, you know, there's a pretty compelling case that look, it becomes a commodity at a certain level. And above that, Zoom's business actually isn't growing nearly as much as it would seem on the surface. So that, that's an obvious risk, even if the market's not pricing it in yet. These other names, the, the Fastly's, the Datadog, you know, Fastly has competition from Akamai or, Amazon or some of the bigger cloud providers, but Cloudflare. Are you seeing competition? And th- because part of the argument I think here is that these companies are almost creating their own economy that exists in a digital, it's almost the matrix. It's almost they're creating this digital environment where they echo back and forth with each other. And you just have to figure out the relative valuations across that scope, but they don't translate it all to Cheesecake Factory or don't translate it all to Simon Property or whatever, the real world. And that is an acceleration, but it's also at some point you would think they'd be fighting for oxygen. So are you still viewing competition as a risk the way you did last summer when I, it, that was one of the things I took from once upon a time in tech? Without question. But look, it's if you look at just the monitoring space, for example, when I was doing work on PagerDuty, both from the short side and then earlier on this year, just checking up. Both PagerDuty and Slack essentially are are theses that have come back from doing channel checks and talks about my short thesis to make sure what I've hypothesized and what I felt was materializing is continuing to track as expected. In both cases, I come across the monitoring companies a lot because what sits on top of all the, what's PagerDuty plugging into? and aggregating. It's the alerts. One common theme, of course, when they listed and going through it is Datadog. And who's Datadog really been taking share from? Is New Relic. So we got to a point earlier in this year where, I mean, New Relic was trading down to, maybe it got down to less than two times sales at the bottom here just recently. It's been around four. Datadog, as of last week after earnings, it was at 50 times trailing sales. And when you talk to a customer, they're just like, look, New Relic is amazing APM. You know, they, they own the market. They invented it. It's fantastic. But they're too expensive. That's why we switched to, to Datadog. When you look at it from that angle, there is some zero sum without question here. And I mean, it's not just here. There's Splunk in there. You have to a degree Elastic wants a little bit of this in the observability. You have Dynatrace, which is bigger on the enterprise side. You have Cisco bought AppDynamics. There's a lot of players. I, I would look at that sector and I'd be like, without the context of what's going on today, for example, I'd be like, you have to be out of your mind to pay to over 10 times sales for any of these stocks. Because monitoring in and of itself from a layer should be 
less than the application layer. If the application layer is like, you know, more of a premium in terms of what you're doing versus like, let's say automated infrastructure monitoring. And like, it's also exposable to being integrated in with, uh, let's call it holistic offerings from the cloud giants in themselves. If you put that ceiling there, you would like, one, if you were short, you'd be getting mutilated. And two, you would never go long a single name. That's part of the challenge. That's macro. And that's where you got to be attuned to at this juncture, making a commitment at some point, I, I think it's bubbly. And uh, I'm just going to sit on the sidelines till everybody who thinks it's just easy to buy. Like if you were, if you look at people on Twitter or you talk to people and you ask them, like they're building their portfolios for the next five, 10 years. And it's like, okay, this is what I own. I own for an uh, analytics. I own Alteryx database. I've got MDB, video conferencing, Zoom, chat, Slack. They just go through and segment them. Business spend, Coupa, collaboration at Lassian, ITSM, broader service, uh, enterprise software, SaaS, uh, service now. They'll take now over Workday. And then, you know, my infrastructure plays are Adobe, uh, you know, Microsoft. I, I own Amazon for e-commerce I don't, and uh, this. I don't, I don't want to own them for AWS right here. I prefer Microsoft. And, and go to sleep for 10 years. It's like, oh, really? It's that easy, huh? <laughs> and and that's kind of what like you when you see it and I see more of it and I see I mean, we've discussed this I get people who reach out and they're like oh this is what I'm doing with this portfolio or, I used to work at this company or this is what I view about this company and this company superior and it's hard at present time to do anything with fundamentals right fundamentals are not going to translate you right now into making any money because you could invest based on fundamentals right now and in aggregate where multiples are compound as a loser for the next decade. History has proven that is likely to happen to you, by the way. You're talking about like pure value investing. I'm talking about as, as a growth investor, by the time you're successful, they have to grow into their multiples just to justify what you're doing in many cases. I see what you mean. Yeah. And if they don't, you're going to lose a ton of money. So it's impossible at this jump. Remember, these companies hold their ground. And then when they break, look at when they when it broke earlier in the year, New Relic. Not much has changed in that business. It's like a marginal change in bookings and the growth rate. The, what had been steady, you know, high 20s, you know, is, is now down to like mid-teens billings. Remember, this is a company that has 600 million in revenue in this space. Datadog is guiding for 550 going forward. New Relic had a 3 billion EV as of last week. And Datadog was at 21 billion. They're competing in the same. I've not talked to a single person who's like, Datadog's a better product. Admittedly, I've not dived very deeply into the actual breakdown in aggregate of all of them, but I'd own some New Relic. I, I was long it uh, into the print last week. Uh, but my point is with, with these names, you look at it and you say, if, if I talk to several people and they're just like, you know, uh, actually, like in, in some cases, being like, New Relic is a better product. Then in my mind, New Relic is what they're doing right now. They're going to figure out the pricing. They're going to figure out their approach. They're going to go through this little period of pain, which has been the last six months. And you have a valuation differential between the two. Like they're, they're, they're in completely different industries. That's how it looks right now. It's like these guys are doing something so much better than this company over here to the point that they're incomparable. It's an electric car versus uh, a horse and buggy. That's not the case. When you find those, and like that's to a degree what we can get into with Slack and Zoom and maybe PagerDuty, it's interesting. If things go bad in tech, I think you could lose money in all of those. You'll just lose a lot less if you found those. And that's how you have to invest here at these levels. If you're not wary, wary of the fact that the sector valuation is going to drive 95% of your return, 
that's what you're dealing with. Like when you started this thing by talking about the Fed and, and Powell, and what did he say last night? No limit. Like, what are we playing poker? So he's all in. There's nothing they right? can't do. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's undefined. If you told me today, the Fed balance sheet's going to stop at 10 trillion or 9 trillion, I can calculate based on the rate it's been expanding, the marginal impact, the second derivative, and be like, liquidity at the margin is going to here. If I know that, I'm more attuned to how I want to invest from a macro perspective. I can be like, okay, risk off. For, for right now, I'm just looking for names that are so extremely different. Like when I look at PagerDuty at single digits and Everbridge at like 25 times sales, I key in there because I know I'm coming across these two a lot. I know what Everbridge is doing in terms of threat prote- prevention and monitoring, but I also know they've been trying to be a digital monitoring on call player uh, against PagerDuty for the last five years and failed miserably. So let me just drill in. So what you're saying is you're looking for not different in the terms of a company that's in its own vertical, let's say, which obviously if somebody gets really successful in their own vertical, they get competition, but you're not necessarily looking for companies that are category owners, killers, so that they have less risk of the pricing issues that New Relic and Datadog are kind of playing with each other. You're saying that you're looking at differentials in terms of crazy valuation differences in a relatively close, where the industry is relatively close. They may be, as you said, yeah, a bridge. Perfect example, Slack Zoom. It, last summer, I was short Slack. I talked about it in Dropbox. I was like, it's Dropbox 2.2.0. We got into a lot of things around Slack. Since Slack IPO'd, it's been like almost like the Facebook IPO for the first year, straight line down plagued by problems and issues. And every single time, you know, Stuart Butterfield is on TV or talks about anything, what's the topic of conversation? It's Microsoft Teams. That's been the topic since it went public. Sitting in that same vector is a company called Zoom. When they're spoken of, it's founded by a guy who was CTO of the previous leading company in the space. So from a competitive standpoint, they're getting no heat. It's like he's been winning against the incumbent. Slack has been viewed more as, even those chats been around in so many forms, as more greenfield in terms of workplace. And that like Microsoft is now coming at you with free and with an installed base. When you used to look at these two, and you look at them also on margins, Zoom superior. Out of the gate, they were very similar in valuation. So it was a no-brainer, in my opinion, then to short Slack. And I mean, I've obviously, I've looked at Zoom many times over the last several years, so I was more familiar with it. But like to me, it was like if you went and you wanted enterprise video conferencing software, like if you, so much of what's happening on Zoom is because their model was built for a different world. Zoom meetings is not meant to be downloaded and used as a plug-in for everybody sitting at home to do video chat on their desktop. It was never designed that way. That thing is free because that is, what, what do you call it in tech, low touch or whatever, low friction to onboard the customer at the enterprise level, because they want to sell you from a defining factor at, at the enterprise where they make their money is they're providing Zoom connectors for your polycom equipment and hundreds of thousands of dollars you've spelt, you spent on your physical conference room, Zoom rooms and webinars and transcription and all this stuff that was designed for that world where you're like 85% plus in the office, but this is the best piece of virtual conferencing software. It's just that much better than what existed before. And it's a market share play. And in education, I mean, Zoom, Zoom had 95% of the, of the top 200 universities th- three years ago. Like that was a stat they would throw out in terms of, of like their success when they were still in the private market. So to me, 
Zoom didn't have a narrative problem. It was perfect, bulletproof. And that's what got me so excited about it when I wanted to play a turn in SaaS at the end of last year, because I wasn't shorting Zoom last summer. The low-hanging fruit is Slack. Here's Microsoft. Here's Mattermost. Uh, Uber's using Mattermost. So-and-so's using this. The ones who want privacy and they're more focused, they, they want self-hosted. There was, some, there was two arguments. Microsoft is giving it away. There's 200 million office people. And there's some people who won't even do business with you because they don't want to put the workplace chat in the cloud and, and let someone on the, on the external level have access to that with like the history of what's gone wrong with emails and, and, and whatever with, with respect to business and privacy and secrets. There was a lot of things to criticize. But now, once everybody's been sitting at home and working from home, what is Zoom? Zoom is no longer really video conferencing. It's de, it's de facto initial work communication is what is played. And it was free. So like gateway right into that. If, you, if you're an enterprise that had it, your, your, your uses just went up through the roof. So one of the th- beauties of this company was the margins. Do you know what Zoom spends on R&D? Less than 10% as a percentage of revenue. I was never forced to take a close look at that when I was looking at it versus Slack. So when I was looking at it versus Slack, I'd be like, I mean, these two have the same revenue. In fact, in the, in the most re- recent fiscal year, Slack did 10 million more in revenue than Zoom. It was like 630 and 620. But Zoom, much more profitable operating margin-wise because Slack is spending like 35% of revenue on R&D. In 2019, that's a reason to buy Zoom and that's a reason to short Slack. But when I look at it with the frame of reference of post-COVID, these, it turns out their whole R&D team was in China. I hadn't looked closely at that. I just used to think that was an advantage and a cost structure and Eric Wan's doing a good job. And he would advocate that. He's like, profitability is important too. Well, then it's like, okay, instead of viewing that as innovative and disruptive, it's like, oh, the CTO of WebEx just basically copycatted, improved, and he outsourced the whole development to China. Fantastic. That's not exactly Modi. You start thinking of it that way. If, this, if the, his R&D is that low, this is not impressive. And then you start thinking to yourself, well, why does Slack spend so much money? Well, Slack is like an integration platform. It's a system of record. It's integrating with everything. Zoom is just frictionless and really high quality video with some backgrounds. You start saying, how is this four times the size of that? And that's when you have this, this context of, if I can launch any video chat from Slack, I can do Slack video. I can do Zoom video. I can do Teams video. I start thinking, you know what? This may seem crazy and you may, you may look at this and be like, oh, you're talking out of your ass, but maybe the virus was bad news for, for Zoom because if we stay in this de facto type of environment and we don't like, look, if we go immediately back to the way things were before, Zoom just got the best brand extra boost globally they could have asked for. That's going to translate obviously into, into more business for them, but it may have also changed their cost structure a decent amount as well, which they're going to have to adjust to, but they can adjust. They have to spend more money on security. They're going to get questioned. I mean, you, you, you're following the China stuff. Again, if your whole product development team is in China, what do you freaking do if you're spending money on security companies? Like, what, I mean, if you can get a Chinese operative inside China, like, I mean, that's a concern for, for people. And like, there are going to be people who are going to hit them on that and cite that and, and pick on them on that. They've acquired a lot more problems relative to the way their business model was before. And to just stay focused, maybe it may be a struggle. So like for me, I look at that and I say, well, Slack isn't really a work from home tool. It's more like a work from anywhere tool. It, it was just as important in the office. It just probably became more, more sticky being away from the office. But like, it's still where 
it sits in that Goldilocks spot between video. Like here we are recording this call, right? Are we do- using video? No, because it can be like it requires a little bit more focus is looking directly. Ultimately, you know, here I am pacing around chatting with you. Sometimes I'm sitting down and I can't do that if I'm doing video. It's not it's it's like when I'm on the hook on video, like, you know, you and I chat on WhatsApp or whatever, you don't have to respond immediately. So if something's put in there for work, I can check it the next day. So like if I talk to people who are using both these tools, they will walk you through a work process where it's like from a sales standpoint in, in, in software where they'll just be like, you know, we, we do a group video call in Slack for the team and we'll go through a presentation PowerPoint that's in there and people will edit it in Slack. Then one of them will go back and, and update it and share it with everybody else. Then we'll get on, let's say, a Zoom call with a client. Then when we get off, We'll again do video on one-on-ones very quickly on Slack, but like there's a low tolerance for it. He's like, look, at the beginning it was this, but now it's like, I just want to get off and get back to work and be more efficient. And in chats with friends, people now just start turning off the video. You know, they're like, you know, my wife just came in. My kids are running around. The room's a mess. I don't want to move to a certain spot and have it so you can see the background. I'm self-conscious. I haven't showered yet in the morning. So this is not necessarily the best thing. You know, and I don't think I don't think anyone was thinking of that from that standpoint. And I think Zoom's earnings are going to be so controversial as far as an event because it's also been hard to remotely. They've been throwing out metrics, but they they haven't told you what how it's impacted the business financially, right? Like they got caught with that the users versus participants issue. Correct. And I've been wondering about that. Like when I was bored in the beginning of this, you know, and I've been long Zoom in January and February as well. Despite the hit from the Q3, I was, I was on this before the, the blowout started here and I was focusing it on, on China once they made things free in China. And I was like, yeah, this is, like, this is kind of like a play on this virus in China and software and, and whatever. I mean, I didn't think it would go this crazy and it would start trading like an inverse ETF. But like I would sit and I would try to guess what's this translating into. Slack came out and told you midway through this quarter that they added... 9,000 net new paid, paid customers. Zoom tells you they have 300 million meeting participants. For like a person in school, I have a neighbor and like a, they're finishing up their school, medical school stuff, and they've had Zoom and they never use it. Like she gets on maybe six times or five times a day or whatever. So like that, that's six participants from zero, but they were always a customer. So how, like, how are we supposed to think of it in that respect? But I think what you're getting to again, if we look at both at competition and permanence here in zoom's case because even zoom group video is still way better than slack group video just in terms of quality but it's still when you talk about a moat it's it doesn't there's a point where it doesn't matter and slack and on the other hand has set themselves up to fit into so many different aspects what i thought was interesting to think about, and you reminded me that Atlassian invested in Slack, but to me, Atlassian is sort of more the developer, you know, they have a marketing team orientation as well, somewhere in there with Trello, but they're more of the set up your agile scrum teams to go work through everything and kind of keep track of what's going on. But they're also, it's still also an integrated workplace, keep things moving system essentially i mean that's that's how i not as a techie but as somebody working on at a website that's how it seems to me whereas slack is very similar except it's more of a focus on that communication 
but it integrates. It can integrate your new relic alerts. It can integrate your pager duty pages. It can integrate your. It's an integration platform, right? And so it's it's sort of the which it's sort of the nervous system for a company, and and it becomes more. Pre- you know, you think of the old days with a bulletin board or a memo or whatever else. Uh, I've been watching a lot of The Office during this period, and oh, so I'm catching catching up on that. And so I'm question. You know, <laughs> so it's a reminder of you replace the conference room and you replace the copy machine, you replace everything else with just Slack and even email, which is sort of their broad ambition. I, I think there's a limit to that. But the question that it begs for me, it does have some competitive advantages there, but I'm looking at their evaluation and it's still, I get the relative valuation, but that's where the valuation comes in for me is it's still trading at 20 times next year's sales on an EV basis. And so at some point, you do see this quote get popped up on Twitter every now and then, but it still seems like a fair comment. Okay, even so if here's, a, here's a better way. The Sun Microsystem guy, right? The, yes, he, it was 10 times sales and he and he walked you through it and he says, Scott McNeely. And, and that was, you know, etched in stone till it wasn't. But here's my point in, in terms of that. When you look at when you when we discuss Slack, forget the multiple on an absolute basis right now. Is Slack's business more relevant in a digital transformation and and let's say permanent uh, in its ability to sustain itself going forward than Zoom at seventy eight times, Datadog at fifty, Okta thirty nine, Coupa thirty seven, CrowdStrike at thirty four. Atlassian, okay, Atlassian, yes, I'm going to leave that out. But Atlassian at 30, MongoDB at 28, Zscaler at 27. That's how you got to think about it. Because I look at Slack today, and I'm like, Slack came out of the gate. It got pissed on. And I was part of that. I'm in that party. Same thing with PagerDuty. I started the pissing on PagerDuty. I had a thesis. I laid it out. And you know what? It proved, by the way, accurate. They got competition. They had a tailwind. There was window dressing from the IPO. But it's still sticky. It was sticky and it got more sticky. So when I look at that and I say, Slack came out and it's just been pestered by all this. It's nonstop Microsoft Teams. And we were discussing metrics, meeting participants versus active users. Microsoft reports DAUs. When Stuart went on his tweet storm a week and a half after earnings to be like, you know, his sprint of coronavirus and what was going on in the business, they were releasing concurrent active users, concurrent users online at the same time. For Slack, See, Slack, this is a metric war because Microsoft came out. They defined the metrics, by the way, to do what? To throw some shade at who? Zoom. Because Microsoft's having fun with this as well. They're like, well, this is how you define metrics. And they stuck it in a blog post because this is a big deal for them. They, they, they need to own this spot as well. They, the more time you spend on any of these things, that office franchise is at risk. When they made their case, they're like, a DAU is a person who's taken an action. Now, if you went to Stuart Butterfield and he's, he's talked about this on TV and you let him and he got to go on a rant and he was you know unhinged and unleashed, he'd probably be like, their metrics a joke. Like if I, if I shared one file, I'm an active user. If I did this or if I clicked here by accident, you know, like that's how he views it in terms of office. And that's why they, they haven't reported a DAUs since what, a year ago, as Microsoft keeps reporting these, because to them, it's not showing people using it as a system of record integration platform. If Microsoft had to show to what level they are comparable usage-wise to Zoom, and like they would disclose that metric, he would probably tell you it's leagues apart. And that's where you get in with these. And that, that, that's just the same thing that we're seeing with paid customer to potential. I mean, Microsoft told you they hit 200 million meeting participants for video. And when you think about that 
in contrast to Zoom, it's like, okay, they got put just as much on the map as Zoom. Like I sent you a note from, from an analyst, the city guy. The city guy is actually making the exact opposite argument of me. He's got a $25 price target on Slack and 190 on Zoom. He's comfortable with crazy assumptions to 2030 on Zoom. That's how he's like, he's like he'll tell you it's rich and you got to get here. But on Slack, he's like, this coronavirus may have accelerated Microsoft Teams as a competitor. Well, I'm coming here and I'm saying, Slack's been in the doghouse, idiot. It's, not, it's priced like it's doing something else relative to these guys. You don't want to walk into this stock when it walks when it's repriced like it's uh, Twilio or Okta back in the club. And that's the argument you got to be making here. If you actually think that Slack has defined itself as more resilient as a platform relative to this competition, they're not necessarily being threatened by them, you have a case. And this is where pager duty comes in. When I was doing my work on this in, in January, if, if we were to think people look at tech stacks, you look at companies and what, what they're using and best of breed. Who are the two best of breeds? If you go back to my once upon a time in tech, who did I focus on in once upon a time in tech when I talked about microservices, which everybody talks about when they talk about microservices? One company. Do you remember? I got it. I don't have, I think it was Atlassian. I have to think Atlassian. No, in terms no. of microservices, architecting your business, Uber. Okay. okay? Oh, we want to, when it comes to your stack, Uber, it's, we want to be like Uber, right? What the, how they how they built the model, how they they started out as a as a monolith with everything, and then it just became microservices. You know, they were using Twilio, they're using Stripe, they're using Braintree across the board, everything you can think of. The other one is who Netflix on call, always on chaos engineering. Like so much has come out of Netflix, right? People are doing startups that are designed to test infrastructure and resiliency based on Netflix breaking their system to keep it uptime, right? You, you want to architect around them because what needs to be more on up than Netflix, right? The whole business is about being up 24-7 around the world. And when you consider those two businesses and their tech stacks, I pay attention to what they use. So when I started working on the PagerDuty short thesis, one thing that came along the lines was that Uber was using LinkedIn's on-call, an open source in-house. Mattermost is the Slack. Uber was also using Mattermost for workplace chat to self-hosted essentially. And in the last year, what has Uber done? Uber dumped on call and signed up with PagerDuty. And three months ago, Uber dumped Mattermost and signed on with Slack. I take notice of that. Then I looked at Viacom CBS, which, which came out and they came out and said, we have Microsoft Teams, we have Slack, we use both, but we played with both and we're going all in on Slack, despite, you know, like that's just the way it's happening after this merger. That's an incremental data point that you like. So from competitively, I look at this and I'm like, you're telling me Uber and Netflix, but literally the people who say, hey, how do they do it at that place? Oh, that's what they're using? Okay, that, that's what we need to be using, all right? And you tell me those guys who are essentially the, the trendsetters in this, featured in reports and discussed you know, in case studies and whatever, they've adopted these, these players and we're still talking about Microsoft Teams? Please, come on, get real. They should be getting some benefit of the doubt as they've shook this off. The same way Facebook shook off the concerns about the pivot from desktop to mobile and just violently turned. The same way Twilio, after, uh, remember when Uber uh, uh, dumped them in 2017? They didn't really dump them completely. They still use them, but they diversified away. They brought in some Nexmo. They brought in some other suppliers in the space or whatever. And 
it shook it off and it turned. But like initially, for those of us who were shorting Twilio back then at the time or even focusing on it or paying attention or interested, that was the thesis. Now, I have my friend who's like a big, like he owns one stock. He's owned one stock for four years as Twilio. Before that, he owned one stock and he owned one stock for four years. It was Netflix. I mean, he's annoying in his ability to pick the best possible thing. And we would constantly debate it, right? <laughs> and I'm just like, I I just let him make the decisions. When we talk about this stuff, every single call, it's, it's Twilio is going to be a $100 billion company and it's going to go to this and Salesforce is going to buy it and Jeff Lawson is going to take over or something. Like, you know, he gets, he gets really into it. But you look at it and you say, I've seen these turns happen. I watched when Twilio went from like, you know, when the Uber news came out and then within six months later, the stock was double, even though it dropped 30%. Because sometimes you get over-concerned with something, and then there's that one moment in time where the company or management team comes out and proves that this thesis that's been dragging in the market, it should be discounted away at least to a degree more significant than the immediate term. And I look at Slack in the context of these other SaaS names, and I say, it's getting too much heat based on what we're seeing happening today. If you could come out to me and say, this company just dumped them completely for like after being on them for three years and shift, shifted to teams, it'd be one thing. But if you can show me, if you can take something like an Uber, or you can take an example like the recent Viacom CBS merger, and you can take the fact that he's given you his net paid ads midway through quarter being double. And the, and the fact that like, if we go back to work from home or we go back to completely work from the office or somewhere in between, this business model, it succeeds in that environment. It's not dependent on these things. In contrast to Zoom, where it's like, I'm not going to want to be doing video calls 10 times a day if, if work from home persists for longer. I'll check my Slack. I'll do these things. I'll hop on video for this time with a meeting for a client. But the way their product is consumed and the way it stands in terms of differentiation how fun is, is your backgrounds going to be? Like you saw what Facebook and, and, and Teams have, uh, Meet have done very quickly. I've used Google Meet. Google Meet has improved by leaps and bounds in the last three weeks. I look at this and I'm like, dude, like you just put, put Zoom on the radar of all the big fish in tech. And, and I just realized Zoom must have one of the best marketing teams around and has kind of snuck in because the market wasn't big enough. Going after that like billion plus in revenue to bleed out of WebEx was not something worth really huge, huge focus for Facebook, Google, or whatever. But once it became a threat, it is. And then it's just kind of integrated free, which they want to tie into everything else. And now you have a problem because no one can have you as being a social network. So all of a sudden, I can do work calls on a platform that gets like consumer-driven platform, let's say, that gets to a level that's pretty good. So then it becomes what is Zoom for again? a really good enterprise video conferencing product. Plugins, Zoom rooms, webinars, et cetera, transcription, add-ons. And you got to get to that level. So let's go back and maybe set this up for the final stretch for Slack. You sort of made it sound like the market just needs the light bulb to go on. And so I guess- Exactly. That's the best way of putting it. What's going to turn that light bulb on? And do you even bother to say, I think it should be worth- 50 times sales, or do you just, I guess, how are you protecting yourself if the sector moves is the other side of this? Because it's one thing to say, well, it should be worth closer to what Zoom is, but where, what are you doing to protect that? So when does the light bulb go on and how do you protect yourself if 
the ground. Oh, I'm in like crazy land when it comes to this. I think Slack is, as a business is worth more than Zoom as a business. I would say the $630 million in revenue that Slack generated, despite the fact that its non-gap margins are still well in the negative, is worth more. If I was Slack CEO and Zoom showed up and offered me a 30% premium to today's price you know, in an all-stock deal, I'd say, no, no, thank you. You want to buy me out? I'll buy you out. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what it's got to be. That's how you got to be thinking about it in that scenario. Now, there's, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Like People will be like, oh, then why aren't you shorting Zoom? I'm like, because yeah, I don't need the aggravation, guys. Thank you. <laughs> so you're, just, you're taking the market risk for now. I, I guess you can always, if the market turns, you can kind of figure it out. But you're taking the market risk because you just you feel that that they're similar enough, but the difference in valuation is just so big that this is going to come good. Yes, correct. And I, and I think the data points are there to support you. Remember, when something weighs on a stock, it's hard. The market has a dynamic of this, particularly with IPOs. You've got a churn in the shareholder base. It's not an established shareholder base. Once that finds some sticky hands who are like, yeah, and, and, and let's say that there are some people out there, whether they're intelligent or just lucky or savvy or whoever, who are like, hey, you know what? I'm, I was thinking this way as well. I like this. Like, you'll see some people, like, I've, I read some of the comment section, and like, uh, I've had some people reach out who are just like, you know, I was thinking the same way. It's good that someone articulated this. And I'm just like, uh, uh, oh, you know, I, I haven't figured it out. I'm just taking evidence that's out there and ingesting it and producing something. So I see at the margin that IBM went all in. And there was that whole controversy about that being kind of like fake news and, and it had existed. But you know, one that we were just getting into, which, which we discussed last time, was Apple going all in with PagerDuty. The, this dude who posted it on, on his LinkedIn page is doing the implementation, which you know, you're like, oh my God, I mean, it's Apple news. There was actually a guy who managed to disclose publicly what he's doing for an Apple implementation on his LinkedIn profile. And someone caught it, posted it. And I was like, oh, this is a nugget. Let me just buy this. And uh, what more could I ask? Who's all in? Like, hey, you laid out a short thesis on, on, on PagerDuty. And you know, it was predicated on, on competition coming from Opsgenie and Atlassian. And well, a year later, Apple has decided to go from 5,000 to 15,000 and they're expanding and they're making it so that they, which is disclosed, which was, he took it down eventually when that tweet went up. But when it was disclosed, it said, uh, you know, plus expanding for, you know, on the go customer support with Slack integration. So they're integrating Slack and PagerDuty. So there you go. Once you're embedded in there and you're, you're in deep like that and you start seeing data points like that, you're going to discount the, the, the churn and, and the lower net dollar retention because you have a land and expand model. Well, if all of a sudden your land start getting bigger, that's going to that's gonna tweak the way that works. I look at those names and I put them in the same bucket. I'm saying, I've just gone out and I've seen evidence. And that evidence tells me that what I thought was going to happen isn't happening. Like I, I'm not seeing more of it. I'm seeing evidence of the opposite. Apple didn't choose something else. Apple didn't go, like, because the argument is like PagerDuty is not going to continue to win the blue chip business. But then if you talk to people, it was like OpsGenie Atlassian is still behind on integrations. They need a year to catch up, maybe a little bit more. Once they, they'll, they'll get there, but they're still behind. Well, PagerDuty is in 60% of the Fortune 100 already. You talk to people who were complaining about why would I want to spend time ripping out my digital file alarm to save X dollars here when there's so many other projects that are top priority for us. It's the last thing we do. 
This was pre-corona. You're going to tell me now post post-corona COVID that let's t- let's you know let's spend the next three months replacing all the services that are integrated. IBM has what three thousand plus services for that the customers are using that are integrated with PagerDuty. We can save a million dollars a year replacing this by doing this project. Let's go. No one's doing that. It's just not happening. That makes it even more sticky than it was before. And when I see that with Slack, and I see that there's something about the user behavior of the product and the, the business model and the market still in focused on what was a narrative from a year ago, I, I'm going to focus on those. Zoom, I don't know. And I mean, I'm curious as from your end, like, what do, where do you see Zoom? Do you think I'm crazy? No, I think it's, I mean, I do think you're crazy, but that's besides the point. Zoom, it's just one of those trades that is just, and so I, I for all that I said about how are you hedging yourself, I mean, I, I think it is just a runaway train and I, I, I don't short, but I wouldn't short something like Zoom. It feels to me the same way as Tesla does because it feels like a layup. I mean, we talked about it a few weeks ago. And I think we were kind of, could be this, could be that. And the stock's up 50% since then, something like that. So it's, the stock is, seems to be pricing in a lot. It's, there's no way that it gets there. I think it does, that question of its moat is really a good one because I do think it's still there. I haven't tried Google Meet in the last few weeks, so maybe it's, I'm missing out, but I do think that- You're not missing out. It's just improved. Oh, you know, but like Zoom is still the best. Right. And, you know, and I'm looking at it. The reason we use Zoom is because the sound quality for recording audio is actually, you know, we've tried a few audio specific places and this, both the quality of the call and then the quality of the audio after the fact, it's among the best that I've tried so far. And I'm open to trying other ones, but I, so I don't, I'm not super bearish on it as a company but you're right i think it's 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 one of those things where they have attracted attention and they have attracted a lot of big names and i think what the big names do is it probably crowds out a lot of those along with the headline risks that you've raised crowds out a lot of their upside in terms of what else they might do to surprise investors like You've, you've thrown out the idea of Zoom production. And then also there's the Zoom social network. And it's unlikely that they get to any of those things anyway. But then when you throw on the fact that now they have to make sure that they're providing good enough security and they have to deal with the scrutiny of really being not just in the market, but a darling stock to a 2x degree of what it was last year. Because it was, as you mentioned, it was the most expensive SaaS stock last year. But I think- It it was de facto the best. And it wasn't hyped. It wasn't getting like, let's call it the press. But it's multiple. And anyone uh, smart enough to have looked at the business closely, if you talk to them, it was like Zoom is going to be, is going to stay expensive. That was the view then. Because it's just like, it's just winning. You know, against the incumbent competition. No one is having a debate over whether or not Microsoft Teams is going to get it from the top and Mattermost is going to get it from the bottom, like Slack was. That Ops Genie is coming in and Splunk is coming in and you price like whatever, like PagerDuty. Again, everyone's got video, but it was just like, it was assumed without question that they would win. You, you didn't think about much. Like, yes, that if something was coming up for renewal, you're going up against Slack and if they get, if they, uh, sorry, against Zoom. And if they use Zoom, 
that's all they really needed to accomplish. And all of a sudden, you've got an argument for potentially winning the customer by the his story of customer happiness. You know, the the, the usage of the product. And it's it's interesting to think about Netflix because I think Netflix a decade ago. And I forget if we talked about this on the podcast or just before the podcast, but they were also sort of had comp- competitive pressures and I wasn't following it super closely. So I'm sure I'm not going to quote the details, right? But obviously Blockbuster, which they ended up dusting, but you had things like Coinstar, Redbox, you had sort of competition. They pivoted their model from mailing DVDs to streaming. And it's just, it's hard to see where Zoom goes when they, they're not dealing with incumbents like Blockbuster and Coinstar that probably are not going to be agile enough. And they're not even dealing with, it's not like they have to deal with the legacy media networks in the way that Netflix did, where Netflix could kind of be a Trojan horse as far as licensing. Well, I mean, exa- I mean, Netflix came in the back door with the Stars deal. And Netflix rode the post office's subsidy against Blockbuster. It's hard to see Zoom being able to do that when you have Facebook all of a sudden deciding to me, it looks like what they're doing is boxing them in and saying, all right, your business is going to be video conferencing. Like your best scenario is that you still win video conferencing, but good luck getting there. And that's where what I think is the most interesting thing about what you're raising. And I don't know where I am on this is this comes back to that last point of permanency. And I, I can definitely buy the argument that Slack is more flexible for whatever the scenario is. Wherever we are in 2022, you would think Slack would be relatively well positioned. I think Zoom is still going to, people are going to see video call for, I saw a Bloomberg reporter tweeted about the point that Verizon negotiated their blue jeans deal over blue jeans calls. And I think for business travel, especially, I do think you're going to see some reverberations there where high quality video conferencing can make up for having to go to a branch office, having to go to a conference even. I think you're going to see some, some changes in the, in the use case for video conferencing on those margins. But to justify 80 time sales or whatever. And that's just where you have the, I don't know where. Slack ranks as compared to Zoom and the Robinhood rankings. But I do think that factor is sitting out there and the idea of Zoom so visible now. So I think the two really interesting things you're raising are how much is this really going to stick? And also the idea of the Zoom having put just enough, almost the opposite of a sweet spot, having put just enough of a bullseye on themselves where people are going to be gunning for them, but they're not Facebook. They're not, they're just putting themselves in the hot seat. I mean, they can't keep running their business the way they're doing it, where I use it for 40 minutes for free. Because I will tell you this, if, if stay at home lasts for very, very long, 40 minutes is more than enough time for a quick phone call in terms of like the average user. I've talked to several people at just startups, forget like people I've talked to in, in, at, at enterprise level SaaS. And they're just like, we have, one, we have one license or I don't know anyone else has a license in the company. I'm the only one or who has a paid one. And it's just like everyone else I invite them. Like that's how it happens when we do th- these calls. And for the other guys, it's done like de facto this way. I personally think Zoom is a hard one. All I would say at this point, I'm going to wait for earnings. I wouldn't touch that stock. So it reports June 2nd. It reports actually before Slack and PagerDuty. And I think the only thing that to me is, is really relevant on Zoom at, at the highest level, one thing that's for Slack at least and at PagerDuty too is... Both of them are doghouse names. 
they've had they've they've been going through since they went public one in April, one in June. They have been plagued. They have not had a conference call where everyone was like, "Oh, this is awesome." That's fact number one. And at the margin, we have data points since the start of this year. The Apple data point, Uber data point, Viacom, CBS, IBM. For, it's, it's actually funny how much these two overlap. I think IBM is both Slack and PagerDuty's largest customer. I think they both have big business with Oracle. There's like a whole you know, element of that, the anti-Microsoft alliance that, they, that they've got on their side to go with you know, everyone else in woke tech. When Jennifer Tejada like interview, has interviewed people, she gets on. She's like interviewing the smart sheet CEO. She interviews Eric Wan. She interviews uh, Jeff Lawson at Twilio. Like they sit together. They they're doing all their events and the, the overlap and and whatnot. And you're like, you're at the cool table, but you don't get the cool multiple. That's kind of been that's like kind of a little bit of the way the story works in SaaS is like momentum investors are a, a huge driver in the space. And when the narrative has been messy, the sell side doesn't like you. And we can look at that and, we, and, and you invest based on marginal things in a narrative in stories like this, because they're all story stocks at the end of the day. Nobody invests in these and, and it can make sense. You're reading business model uh, valuations that go out to 2032 <laughs> for Zoom. I can't forecast this year. Like I came up with, with roughly around 1,400, so like 1. 1.4, 1. 1.42 billion. You saw how I did that exercise. I was basically like, this needs to get to this multiple, and let me work backwards by twenty. I, like I expect them to get to two point three billion by twenty twenty one calendar fiscal twenty twenty two. So that means it's got to go from here to here this year, and then it's got to go from there to there next year. And that's neutral. I own a company that's at twenty five times forward sales two years from now. If right now that gets me to, I wouldn't short Zoom. I wouldn't go long Zoom. What do I have? What do they have to achieve to get there this year? And how does that? How do you figure that out on? Per customer, and like, what data are we going to get when they report on June 2nd, other than these stupid milestone metrics they've disclosed so far? They gave a guidance of 905 million March 6th. You think they're going to guide to 1.4 billion for the year or 1.3? I I don't think so. Is it going to go up that much? Can it? It's a coin flip. But I do know that, like, I have uncertainty around this name that has now crept in around how the product is consumed, who it's competing against, what defines it, what's its cost structure. Slack's got 88% gross margins. Zoom had about four or 500 basis points less before this. Well, Zoom now has every single employee. Slack has a de facto usage that was because it's chat app, like a WhatsApp or whatever, where you're on, you're off, you're on, you're off, but it's there in the background. Zoom all of a sudden has people who were full-time subscribers who maybe never used it go from 0% usage or 1% usage to 100%, the most they can be using it. How does that change your business where you were giving this away for free? Because before it wasn't a problem. You give it away for free. Again, you're not expecting everybody to be sitting on it. It's not WhatsApp. It's not FaceTime. It's not something where, I don't know. And I, I think these are things that are, you can say there's uncertainty that has occurred here that did not exist beforehand. Meanwhile, there is more certainty for both Slack and PagerDuty relative to the perception of the way things were at the start of the year. And that's what you got to do when you look at the gap between them and you say, okay, the risk reward on balance here is superior. Last question, I guess. And I just pulled up their revenue estimates. The high revenue estimate for Slack is 926. 
million this year. Are you expecting the light bulb to be the earnings report, or are you just think it's it's going to be a couple? It's a succession. I, mean, I can't of- see how they screw up this earnings report. Yes, I do think this earnings report. Like he already gave you that they added nine thousand net new paid customers by the middle, the, a week p- past the midpoint of this quarter. They've been averaging five thousand. He's given you an important metric that they measure themselves on already a month ago. Zoom hasn't. Zoom's given you ten million. 200 million, 300 million. These are new metrics disclosed by them. They weren't telling you this stuff before. So it's interesting. It's an interesting setup and it's interesting to think about because Slack is, it's more than just, it seems like it's just text messaging, but as we said, it's sort of that nervous system and it's even the texting, the text communications is still relatively sophisticated and relatively well organized in a way that we know from a variety of other products, it's not to be taken for granted. So, well, it'll be interesting. So we've got, you've heard it here, June 4th is the estimated date for Slack's earnings, according to our site. And so it'll be interesting to see. It's only a couple weeks away by the time you're listening to it. So be interested to see how this uh, this plays out. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's going to be super interesting, to tell you the truth. And I, I could not tell you, like I, I would say to the average listener, it's a crapshoot. There's a lot to think about. And if you're a trader, I don't necessarily know, like with the volatility and the way it is, that there's any reason to pick a side. I think Slack has given us enough information. And I, at least for me, I've been able to ferret out enough on my own. But you know, maybe we'll get someone. Maybe we'll get someone in SaaS next time, and we'll and we'll discuss all this and see what they think. Yeah, we've got some interesting outsider perspective. We've got some interesting episodes we've been talking about. So for those of you listening, watch out. Hopefully, we get a couple of those together because I think it'll add some more breath to what we've been covering here. So, all right, Akram. Any? So we mentioned the positions at the top. Did you? We covered a lot of SaaS names, but any other? No. Uh, no other position. I, I mean, I, I'll be looking at them as they come. Splunk reports this week. Obviously, I'm probably paying attention there. That's one where you, you got to be thinking about them taking a victory lap on COVID, the quiet victory lap that's been happening. So you should be hearing those words. Uh, what were they again? Accelerated and... Amplify. Amplify exactly. is a big one. Yeah. Yes. The, the double A's, my initials, you know. There yeah. you go. Accelerated like and uh, pocket aces. There you, that's We're right. Accelerated yeah. and amplified, and the Fed is right behind us. The digital transformation, cloud migration. You could write a song. The digital transformation, the cloud migration. We're going to accelerate. We're going to amplify. Good time to run a SaaS yeah, company. They're, they're, they are definitely having fun. And that's also just about the time where you say five years from now, oh, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was as good as it ever got. We thought that we were there last summer, but here we are again. So, well, look, we got the good, nice setup last summer. I mean, like it did puke. You had the WeWorks. You have, I mean, like look at where PagerDuty is today. I mean, I look at it and I've had people be like, how's this not a $60 stock? And I'm like, I don't know, man. And then, like, I talk to people who make the bearish argument. They're like, look, the ops genie. I'm like, bro, re- like, thanks for telling me what I've laid out. Thank you. <laughs> it's- it's, a re- it's just a reminder of Viva, right? Like, I mean, Viva was an example where you went through it. And to this day, like that Viva TAM and CRM, I, I nailed that seven years ago. I look at it, I'm like, that TAM was spot on. But when I saw them pivot and I saw EMC with, with, with whatever, you know, turn uh, documentum into an orphan, you know, I flipped the trade and I laid out the bull thesis. I'm like, I've seen this before. 
I watched them rip apart Sega Diamonds and Siebel. And here we go again. And oh, by the way, this is happening. No one wants to invest any resources here. You flip this short to long because these companies don't exist in a vacuum. I mean, that's just the way it is. Like people adapt, they compete, they change and things happen in the marketplace. Like I, like I look at Zoom today, like let's not get into it, but I'm like, why don't they buy Dropbox? I, I can tell you, do you know whether or not I actually have a Zoom account? I don't. I have yet to literally open, install, have an ID or anything. I click on links. I just either, everyone always invites me. It's just like WhatsApp message or an email. I don't know anything. There's nothing to me about the product that exists. It hasn't, it's like installed in my computer on the background, but it hasn't done anything to make me sticky. There's no lock-in. There's no, it's not like, I, I don't have a home screen there. It's not like something that uh, I've got my contacts. I've got this, I've, it's organized. And here we are recording podcasts regularly on it. You think I would have taken the time. That's how frictionless it is. It's so frictionless to the point it's actually bad because you want the user to feel like he's, he's using a product there. For me, it's just like, hey, all right, I'm in. Click on a link. All right. And I hang up. It's gone. It disappeared. Give it away and you hope you make it up on volume. Yeah, I mean, at least Facebook and Apple and these guys, I mean, when I consider what Apple does, all my subscriptions are being handled by Apple. It's like, hey, you want to subscribe to the Washington Post again? Here you go. Here, Apple Pay. Apple Pay this. Uh, yeah, do you want to use your Apple ID to enter here? Do you want to use your Instagram ID to enter Cameo? They've figured out how to do this in so many other ways, shape or form. And you're like... Zoom is not going to start today and backwards work into that in that market. The best thing they could do is buy something completely unrelated to their business with their valuation that would some people would think is absolutely crazy, but just recognizing that maybe they have to do something just that crazy where they're at now today to really cause a ruckus in this space. Just like we, we didn't get into it, but when Atlassian came after Slack, the argument was that they'll kill them, HipChat, Trello the whole ecosystem usage that they had, and it didn't work. And eventually, they threw up that white flag. And they said, you know what? We're going to focus on this. And I mean, if Atlassian is going to throw up the white flag to you, and, then, and we've seen this now with Ops Genie too, they may end up having to do that here as well. Or they may end up having to potentially buy a pager duty or just not so much focus on this market. You look at these things and you say, these are companies where they're really good at what they're doing, and some of them still can't do it. So like, why hasn't a Slack gotten the benefit of the doubt where a Zoom has? And that's, the, that's these things where like the market gets preoccupied with the metric for a little bit, and then all of a sudden it shakes it off and it just forgets about it like it never, never existed. And then we just saw that, by the way, with Twilio. Literally, all they had to do was talk about two customer wins for Flex. If you look at the margin in terms of what, what the revenue was and how you typically guide, that was not enough to change. What, what it did is it got people excited about the narrative again. It's like, okay, why haven't you talked about this for two quarters? Give us something. Give us something to sink our teeth in it and measure and track you. Once they give you that, and once you see it, things can change in the, in, in the way investors view your story immediately overnight. We saw it with Tesla last year. Five years of battling back and forth of going nowhere, and it erased it in, in two months. Did much change financially with Tesla? No. It was just like, you know what? This, is, this company's not going away. They're in that good of an position right now. How big can it get? I don't know, but it's not going on. As soon as that happened, it took off again. I'm just still thinking, remembering HipChat, which was uh, lots of lots of these messaging apps that come come and go. Campfire, HipChat, maybe Slack is the one to. Well, Campfire is what the Basecamp one, right? 
Yeah, 30, 37 signals or base camp. Mm-hmm. I forget which is. Yeah. That's, uh, their only investor is Jeff Bezos. Yeah, but he, that DHH, right? That's that uh-huh. guy. Yeah, big guy. So, all right. Good stuff, Akram. Uh, we'll be watching, obviously, the Slack, the Slack earnings closely, and hopefully we can get some more into these SaaS names in coming weeks. All right. Take care, bro. Thanks.